Good afternoon. Welcome in to the PowerMizzou.com live show or podcast as it may be, depending on how you're listening to it. I am Gabe DeArmond, publisher of Power Mizzou. The Missouri basketball postseason gets started right about 48 hours from now. We're going to talk about that, that on this episode. We're going to bring uh, Drew King and Blake Lovell in here in just a minute. But before we do that, what we always like to remind you guys to do is to support the people that support us. That is James Carlton State Farm Insurance, carltoninsurance.net on the web, 314-961-4800 by phone. Look, y'all need insurance. I mean, if you don't have it, whatever, I'm not your dad, but you probably should go ahead and try to get it. And uh, to do that, get in touch with James. He's going to give you the best deal he can give you on top of that. Not only your insurance needs, but if you call James or email James and tell him you need an insurance quote, if you get that quote from him, tell him you heard about it on Power Mizzou. He is going to donate $20 to the Power Mizzou Collective at Every True Tiger Foundation. That is our specific arm for Missouri's NIL Collective. It neared $100,000 or it neared $50,000 in the first three days. Our goal is $100,000. When that starts to happen, our subscribers get rewards in the form of private events, maybe even access to a practice, things like that. So you help Mizzou out, you help the site out, you even get something for yourself. So get in touch with James if your insurance costs a leg and an arm, James Carlton State Farm. And you guys have heard me talk enough. So what we're going to do is add a couple other people to this show. That would be uh, on one side of your screen as I just randomly move the windows around. Uh, Drew King, you know him. And if you don't know the guy on the bottom, that is Blake Lovell, the managing editor at Southeastern 14. Is that is that the correct terminology, Blake? <laughs> that's that's the correct one, Gabe. But, you know, us being geniuses, of course, we decided to flip it on Twitter because the other one wasn't available. So some people right. call it 14 Southeastern. One, You know, some call it Southeastern 14. What does it matter, right? We got to change it to 16 soon right. anyway, so. Right. Basically what they do, they cover every school in the SEC, every sport, uh, Blake and and uh, good mutual friend, Chris Lee, who also runs our Vanderbilt side. So check out their stuff. And Blake, before we get this going, like I, I've got two important questions for you. Number one, are you officially like, is it a paid position to be the chair of the Dennis Gates fan club? Or is that just something that you've kind of adopted yourself and you do that on a volunteer basis? Well, I mean, I, I think it's something like I get what probably 2.3% of, uh, of his paycheck. Maybe I think that's how it works. Excellent. I'm not sure if that's, that's a good commission. That's the, yeah. I think that's the contract. So um, something like that, or maybe it's like point point zero 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 two or three or something. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's not a paid position yet, but that's that's what I'm reaching for, Gabe. I hope yeah. to one day be a paid staff member of the the Dennis Gate Spans Club. So, well, yeah. whichever percentage that is, you might get in touch with Desiree Reed Francois because <laughs> sometime in the next 24 months, your commission's going to go up. I think, I uh, think so. maybe maybe sooner than that. Second question. So, uh, this this initially came about because uh, you have tweeted that you do have receipts. <laughs> from Missouri fans who were upset when Dennis Gates was hired. I invited you on to read those if you want to and to not read them if you don't want to. So we just need to know, is this a mean tweet segment or are you just going to talk about Mizzou in the SEC tournament? You know, I think for, for the quality of the airtime, I feel like, you know, I'd love to spend more time talking about Dennis. But yet, 
you know, this is a situation where I can kind of sum up everything I got in about two sort of phrases. Um, okay. One was quite literally the phrase telling me to save the tweets that, that I put out about Dennis Gates. And so, again, I did that just because I was asked to. So uh, I did save those. But um, the other one was just more about I, I just this is the part, as you know, that really grinded my gears at the time was more of the people pushing the let's go to Wikipedia and let's look at Dennis Gates's record, even though I've never seen him coach a game before. Let me tell you that I know exactly how good he is because I'm just going to look at that first year at Cleveland state. Mm -hmm. And what do you do? You look at that and what do you see guys, right? It's, Oh man, this guy only won. Are you kidding me? 11 games at Cleveland state as if this program was starting at the foundation of Duke or North Carolina in the nineties. Um, I mean, Missouri won 12 last year. So, you know, <laughs> it's that was the part like that was the thing I saw the most. I think in the replies to me during that time frame was just how are you vouching for a coach that went 11 and 21 in his first season in the Horizon League? I said, well, how are you <laughs> kind of well, I knew how you're coming up with it. You're basically looking at Wikipedia um, and, and trying to sort of tell me, I guess, you know, what you know about Cleveland State basketball, because as you guys know, I, you know, I've said it many times, you know, my work I do for, for the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook, you know, I was covering the Horizon League at the time. And that was, of course, one of the teams I had to do a story on. And um, I texted Dennis Gates. I want to say it was about 48, after, 48 hours after he got the job. And I said, hey, I said, look, I know that I really need to do my story. And I know you don't have a roster, so I don't really know what you're going to tell me. Um, but I basically said, you just let me know when you feel like you can give me something on your roster so I can send the story in and such. The guy gets back to me like seven days later. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, you can't be done. No way you're done. But, but he had, like he had basically put, and I'm watching this play out on Twitter and I'm like, he just added two more players, like in a span of an hour. And I'm like, is he just, he's just trying to get as many guys as he can. And I think that was it for me was, knowing that he took over and I'm not exaggerating here, guys, when I say, and you guys probably know, like Cleveland state was probably at the time. I, I'm sorry, Cody. I know you've been asking on Twitter for this, but <laughs> Cleveland state at the time, I honestly think was the, I'd say bottom five in terms of complete dumpster fire programs in college basketball because of what was left there for him. And I won't call out the former sec head coach that left sure. him that, but, if you look on Wikipedia again, you can probably find it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that is kind of what he was left. Right. And to tell me that go from that in whatever it was, 2019 mm -hmm. to them winning the horizon league title less than two years later, and just seeing how he constructed the roster. That's why I kind of went so hard against the people who just use the record, just use the horizon league. Um, without doing any sort of homework or research on what Dennis Gates actually did from that starting point. So, well, it, like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the internet. It's way more fun <laughs> to just be angry oh, without knowing course. anything than it is to do research. <laughs> Drew, go ahead, then. Yeah, Blake, I'm just curious. I feel like I know the answer, but if you had a vote, would you have given it to Dennis Gates for coach of the year? SEC I would have. Year? I mean, I would have, and, and, you know, obviously there's, there's some bias and um, contractual things involved there, but um, I mean, look, I, I don't know if you guys agree, but I, I looked at this and I, and Gabe, you can maybe remember, I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, these, these years run together, but 
I don't know that I remember a year recently, uh, and I don't know what that time frame would be, I guess, but I think you had four strong candidates for the award. I think you could have you could have looked at Gates, you could have looked at Oates, you could have looked at Buzz, you could have looked at Stackhouse. And I I was not I said I wouldn't be surprised any combination of those guys. If it's one guy, I and I, something I said to Chris in the text, I was like, they're probably gonna give it to a couple guys because I think it's hard to break that tie if you really think there's four guys. And remember, this is a coach's awards. So if you consider that there's 14 guys voting, there's probably gonna be a tie somewhere just because there were four worthy candidates. And my guess is they all got a vote somewhere. So I think that's that's kind of one of those things where, you know, I understand like from a Missouri standpoint, you can be frustrated, but co- coaches awards can be tricky. And um, because I, I'm, I've always been of the opinion, I can't prove it, but I don't know that those coaches awards come from necessarily the head coach all the time. I think that's definitely something that can be, <laughs> be passed down. Um, so not saying there can be some bias in play on some of those, right. but um, I, I think there's absolutely, you know, a case that can be made for all those guys. But I think Gabe, you pointed out on Twitter and this was kind of my, my method when I, when I did this breaking down those four guys, um, I think Gates started with the least amounts mm-hmm. in terms of basically rebuilding the entire roster, essentially, of course, Kobe Brown's there and you know Ronnie DeGray and those guys. But I just think it was kind of a complete restart in a sense. And not to say that Vanderbilt had a great roster that, I mean, but I think if you looked at it and knew that you had Liam Robbins coming back healthy and those kind of things and, of course, I also I don't like penalizing the guys who have the talent and make it work like a native. Because that's either. part of the job. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And like so I think and for an example of that, I mean, it would be Cal over the years that some of his best teams. Well, Cal never won coach of the year award because it was like, well, he could just roll the ball out and they'd be fine. But like, that's not how it works. Like, you know, right. I, in a sense, he has a harder job because he was getting, you know, the top five of the top 10 players freshman in the country and trying to make everyone happy. But so, so I'm not honestly drew like it, it, to me, it was just one of those things where I'm not shocked at all um, that he didn't get it, but I would have, he would have been my vote if, you know, that was kind of the way we did it. So. Yeah. Want to invite you guys watching along, feel free to uh, comments, questions, whatever, put them in. We'll, we'll get to them and I'm seeing them. And at some point we'll ask Blake about this story that I don't know that, that he apparently Uh-oh. is going to tell on this Uh-oh. show, but, or, or maybe he's not going to tell, but anyway, uh, and, and look, let's get past the idea that Dennis Gates not winning this award is some sort of disrespect. Like he has mm-hmm. gotten tons of national respect. A few people just thought somebody else might've done a little bit better job, which is fair, but Dennis likes to, remind us, and I don't hold it against him, but he has earned this. He likes to remind us that none of us thought that they were going to be very good at the beginning of the year. Um, I said the ceiling for this team was probably like 19, 20 wins. And if they were the right 19 or 20, they might be on the bubble and sneak on the right side and find themselves on Tuesday night in Dayton. Like even being a big fan of Dennis Gates and and thinking more highly of him than probably a lot of people did. Like, did you see this as a 23 win NCAA tournament team doesn't have to play till Friday in Nashville? No. And that's, that's like, that's where I keep reminding people are like, Oh, you got this right. I'm like, yeah, but don't, let's not act like I thought <laughs> this, this team right. would have, yeah. no, I didn't, I didn't think this team would have a double buy. Um, yeah. And that's the thing is, um, I think in this era, again, as you guys know, I, I think it can always be hit or miss when you're basically, and it's not just, just Dennis Gates taking over a new program. It's for any coach that flips their roster every year. 
Um, you know, I think that there's always an element of uncertainty because you can look at all the pieces and say, wow, that guy's going to play great with that guy. And boy, they're going to fit together as the two and three in this rotation. But until you actually see them out there, I think it's really hard to know exactly what that's going to look like. And, you know, I just, I think that's just the, the nature of the game these days. And so when you started to see him look at the roster, let's be honest. And, and I know this has been brought up before, but the, what are the, what was the thing that excited people the most about this roster? There were two things for me. It was the return of Kobe Brown and seeing what he could do under Dennis Gates. And the second thing was Isaiah Mosley. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I couldn't tell you how many times that when, when Chris and I did our shows in the preseason, I said, anytime we mentioned Missouri, it's like, yeah, but they've got Isaiah Mosley. And it's, you know, that was the thought was if they were going to, you know, hit that point of, of really exceeding expectations, that was why they were going to do it because they had a guy that was just such a dynamic score coming in. And, and that's why I think it's been, you talk about being impressed, like they did it of course, without him playing, you know, a lot this season. And I think to me, that's the biggest thing is when you look up and down the roster, once you started to see it come together, you know, again, going back to like, I, I was sort of just flashing back to Cleveland state because I saw how he was putting the roster together there. And then when you saw them start winning, you're like, oh yeah, well that's the reason he got Trago million is because they needed him to do that. That's why they got Demoy Hodge because they needed him to do that. And when you started to go down the roster, of course he brought those two guys with him, but you're thinking, okay, well that's why he got DeAndre Golston because there, there are going to be times where they sort of have a need a spurt of offense um, or or a forty foot bank shot. Well, yeah, I mean you got to have or a couple of them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> multiple. Um, so. And that's like, you just started looking at that and you're like, okay, well, obviously there's a lot of upside with the younger guys that are coming in, the Juco guys, like Nick Honor. Like, I, mean, I don't know how many times everybody will tell you, like, I just, I think this team without Nick Honor, it's still really good. But like, to me, he's that piece that, that holds it all together just because of the position he plays and just the experience of leadership. But no, I mean, long, long way to get to that answer, Gabe. Like, no, I didn't, I didn't think they'd be 23 and eight. Well, Blake, just to piggyback off of that, what do you think it is about Missouri that allowed them to kind of exceed expectations, even with Isaiah not playing as big of a role as everybody thought? Well, I, we, we've had this discussion before, and, and honestly, I think one of the things that I look at with them is this is a league that is built on defense, and that's not a good thing sometimes because, um, you know, I mean, let's be honest, guys. I, I'm already I'm looking ahead here, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, but like, I'm looking at the Arkansas, Auburn, Texas A&M part of the SEC tournament bracket, and I'm wondering how the SEC network is going to extend their programming like past midnight, knowing that's like the you know Thursday night. The, the, you know that's your combination of games. I think there's going to be three hour games with those three teams. But um, I, I think it's because there are not a lot of great offensive teams in this league, and I think one of the reasons they've been able to capitalize. And, and, you know, they're obviously not the same as Alabama because I think what people forget about Alabama is that they are an elite defensive team. Yes, there's there's a lot of flashiness offensively, but they are great on the defensive side. Um, but it's because I think they were just able to score the ball more consistently than, than some other teams. I mean, again, you can pick apart flaws of a lot of teams on the offensive side in the SEC. There are not a lot of flaws outside of, I think, Missouri's just inconsistency on the road shooting, but who do we not say that about, right. right? Like, I mean, we can say that about everybody. And so I think just their ability to have those spurts where they can just, they can kind of outscore teams. Cause we know 
it's not necessarily coming on the defensive side. They're not going <laughs> to, you know, I mean, let's call it what it is. But but yeah. that's okay, again, because in this league, you had a lot of teams that had to win grinded out games. I mean, I think perfect examples, some of those teams were Mississippi State and teams like that. Um, you know, and we can all say, well, we think Mississippi State's better than 8 and 10 in the conference, but that's what they finished. They, they finished mm-hmm. 8 and 10. And, you know, so I think it's – that to me was a big reason is that they were just able to consistently – make more shots than a lot of other team. And look, they're efficient in all the areas offensively you need to be efficient in. And, you know, there's not a lot of teams in the SEC that are like that. So when they went against some of those really good grinded out defensive teams, if they could just find that gap somewhere, which I think the Tennessee game, which is kind of fitting, was the perfect example of that. If they can just get a hot shooting performance against a team like that, that is elite defensively, you can see what that can do for you. And I know they won on, again, like you said, just a, a heave at the buzzer, but it, it's still something where I think that that allowed them to close the gap, um, you know, and then games really didn't make shots. And <laughs> it wasn't like their defense yeah. helped them out and, and they got blown out a little bit. But um, I just think that was it was just they were they had a very defined sort of identity on offense and they helped, you know, the turnovers, forcing turnovers that helped them get a lot of easy buckets, too. And. I just think that was probably the difference to, to kind of eclipse some of these other teams. Again, we're talking with Blake Lovell, Southeastern 14. If you guys follow SEC basketball, I, I hope you're following Blake and Chris and, and everything they're doing over there. You probably know who he is, but if not, that's who he is. He covers SEC, uh, everything in the SEC, but but basketball is is obviously what we're concerned with now. So I we could spend, you know, we don't want to keep you all day, but you mentioned Mizzou, Tennessee. So that is... Like, I don't know what the most amazing thing about this season was, was that Missouri scored 86 on Tennessee when nobody else scored basically 60, or that Missouri gave up 85 to Tennessee, which is a team that is just flat out incapable of scoring, which is why I don't really like them in March. So this game Friday night is, I mean, it's fascinating to me with no Zakai Ziegler, semi-neutral court. I mean, it's it's in Nashville, but I, I don't know that Tennessee fans are necessarily like Kentucky fans are buying all the tickets anyway. Um, I, I mean, we're assuming that's going to be the matchup. If Missouri gets Ole Miss or, or South Carolina, then we know they're playing Bama probably on Saturday. Yeah. But like just big picture, I, I could see Missouri getting beat by Tennessee. I don't think it hurts them if they do. I could also see Missouri playing on Sunday. Like, I, I mean – and I can find – I think I could find seven teams that could win this tournament. I mean, just big picture, what do you think going into this thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, here's how I've labeled Tennessee. And the thing is, I, I could put this label on a lot of teams. Like, I think Tennessee is like the wild card. I could see Tennessee, you know, losing to Missouri just because they can't get sustained offense. I could also see Tennessee putting in, you know, four great defensive performances and they win every game 60 to 58 and mm-hmm. win the tournament. You know, it's like, that's just, I think that's where Tennessee's at right now. But the problem is not having confidence in a team that's probably going to be a a three or four seed. That's not good because, you know, that's just not ideal. And unfortunately, again, that's, that's been the theme for Tennessee is even when they're in these spots, when they get to March, it's, it can be hard to trust them based on the matchup. So, yeah, I mean, it's. I think without Ziegler, and again, you guys know, I I, I said in my individual awards, I would have voted Ziegler as, as the best defensive player in the SEC this year. But I can also understand if you say, well, he was paired with Vescovy, and as a combination, maybe one guy doesn't stand out. But it's like, 
if you're telling me to pick one guy I just do not want to try to score against, if I'm a perimeter player, I'm probably picking Takai Ziegler, maybe Vescovin, of course. I would put Des Moines Hodge in there too, although I know I got some flack with this with the memes, but um, I do love the memes, guys. I appreciate it. But I was not going to, I could not necessarily put him ahead of the two Tennessee guys and maybe even a, a Colin Castleton. But I think it's just one of those things where, I mean, let's think too with Tennessee. They have not been fully healthy the entire season. And it's interesting mm-hmm. because I don't, you know, hopefully I didn't jinx them because as soon as they got everybody back, I said, finally, finally you see the Tennessee team all together and then Ziegler gets hurt. And and now it's like, of course, James has missed games. Phillips has missed games. Keys missed games. So like, I'll, I also wonder if like the chemistry, because I don't know how many games all of these guys have played together. And now when you take their point guard out of the mix, um, again, we just talked about Hodge, right? It's you're going up against the Tennessee team that's without their point guard. Of course, Vescovy is fine and he can he can kind of lead the way if he needs to, but I still think that puts some pressure on Tennessee in a matchup against a team like Missouri, who forces as many turnovers as they do. And because of what you said, Gabe, it's like you have a team that look what they did the first time against Tennessee. And if they're coming out and hitting shots, do I trust Tennessee? I mean, they did in that game, but do I trust Tennessee to play catch up? Uh, against a lot of teams i really don't and so i think that's the biggest key to this matchup is to sort of see you know early on is missouri hitting shots if they are you know again hitting threes and being able just to i think just force those turnovers against a tennessee team that can be susceptible there um i would not be surprised at all like i said if if missouri beats tennessee in this game and even has a chance like you said to to get to sunday I also wouldn't be surprised if we see the good Tennessee and they are the ones getting, you know, there on Sunday. Um, it's just, I don't know what you're going to get. And that's why I think it's just such a wild kind of setup uh, really for Tennessee right now. Yeah. Blake, if you're Missouri, would you rather see Ole Miss or South Carolina on Friday? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and any of the above. Um, I, I tell you, here's what's interesting about South Carolina. You guys know, it's like, South Carolina had, I, I don't know what the fan support looks like in Columbia at those games. I know it looked great for that Alabama game, but they, they get a rise out of not playing at home for some reason. Like they, they go on the road and Hey, they're ready to go. Um, so, but I mean, I, I think honestly, you'd probably rather see how well, South Carolina's a good offensive rebounding team, aren't they? Um, Everybody is a good offensive rebounding team. (laughs) That's that's my worry. I was like, maybe, but no, they're both good offensive rebounding teams. Um, You know, I think I'd probably rather see South Carolina, in all honesty. Uh, I think Ole Miss, we saw that last game. I I hate to say this because I don't want anybody to, like, run with this and be like, this guy just said that a 3-15 and team in the SEC is underrated. But I think when you look at how their games unfolded this season, like Ole Miss played some close games. They just didn't have that that next sort of gear offensively to get beyond, you know, w- l- winning some of these games that they lost by five points or less. And when you really look at it, they had quite a few of those in the SEC. And so I think they're kind of a team with with Breakfield, who I think is underrated, Miles Burns I think is underrated, um, those kind of guys. I don't know that I'd love that matchup because what does Ole Miss have to lose? Um and I wonder what the motivation is for Ole Miss, knowing that they're probably about to get their new head coach. Uh, yeah, it, the, the motivation is every game they win is 24 more hours. They delay hiring yeah. Chris Beard. So that's the thing. It's like you're either trying to win because you want to impress your new coach and, you know, maybe a forced transfer is not going to be there or something. But, you know, it's 
it's one of those things where I don't know what the motivation is of, of either team. So I'd probably rather see South Carolina, but I don't know that again, neither I believe on a, on a neutral court in that setting should, should beat Missouri, but um, stranger things have happened. So. All right, we'll wrap up real quick with, with you with, with one more from each of us. Uh, I look at the SEC and think they've got a chance to get eight teams in. Uh, Mississippi State, you know, might, I, I think definitely needs to beat Florida. If they beat Bama, they're definitely in. But they've got eight teams that could get in. I could easily see seven of them losing the first weekend. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, a, you know, Alabama won't lose the first weekend. Every other team could honestly lose in the first round or or make a Sweet 16. Um Missouri fans have raged against the we have now gone from humans hate Missouri to computers somehow hate Missouri. <laughs> if if you are it, I mean I think Missouri is going to be like a case study for the next couple of years for what the committee values because yeah. I can argue they should be a 5. I also could see them being like a 9. I I mean if if you're in that room and they hand you that sheet where do you put Missouri? Like what's the number on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm higher on them because I think, and you you said exactly what I put responding to a couple of people on on Twitter. I said I think Missouri is going to be the ultimate. What will the committee value this year team? When you see where Missouri, let's say Missouri comes out in the very first bracket, like whatever region that is. Let's say they're up there as the eight or something, or or let's say they're the seven or whatever. Um, maybe they're the nine or ten. Who knows? Right then you will know exactly what the rest of the bracket's going to look like because you will know what they valued depending on where Missouri is at. I honestly believe that. If they're a seven, you'll completely understand, well, here's what the committee valued. They valued the fact they had no bad losses. They got good quality wins. And, you know, hey, they may have lost some games against good competition, but we're not going to knock you for that because you didn't have any bad losses. And, okay, that's one <laughs> scenario. If they're a 10 or something, well, for some reason this year, we just really leaned into the predictive metrics and the advanced numbers. And we looked at their non-conference and all that, like that's going to be the, the spill you hear this year. So if it were me, I think the fact is they are one of, you guys probably have the number, one of how many teams that have no quad two, three or four losses. What is it like six? It, at one point there were six teams that okay. had like well, five yeah. quad one wins and no losses below quad yeah. one that yeah. may have changed. But. So something like that. But the fact is they are one of a, a select group of teams that has no bad losses. And so I think for that reason, when you consider that, then you get into the, well, you know, well, they only beat Southern Indiana by six and they only beat some of these teams. And, and I'm just like, Hey, they're, they're 23 and eight. Um, what the problem for Missouri, probably one of the things is when they decided to lose, boy, they decided to lose in some of <laughs> right? It's like, you know, Kansas, they, they really lost that one. Uh, Auburn, yeah. boy, they really lost that one. Um, I think even the Alabama game, you can, oh, yeah, because they didn't have Kobe Brown, even AM, yeah, yeah, even AM. That's another one. So it's like, it, should that really be, you know, one of those things? It's like, if you look on the flip side, and that was a different argument, but. You look at Vanderbilt, right? Vanderbilt comes off a 57-point loss to Alabama, and what have they done since then, right? They've won 8 of 9, 9 of 10, whatever it is. Um, so it's, you know, margin of victory, all that stuff, I know will be factored in, not necessarily in all the computers, but I would put Missouri right now, and I think Chris and I, when we did, like, our bracketology, which he's way better at this than I am, I said, look, I think Missouri's probably a 7 right now. And I said, I think there's definitely a scenario where they're higher than people think, but I also think, let's say they lose to Tennessee – what does that really do to you? Cause you're losing to a Tennessee team that 
uh, who at this point could probably lose by 40 every game the rest of the way and still be number three in the net. Um, that's, I mean, honestly, has Tennessee moved at all this season outside of two or three? Like they've been there all year. And so I, I think if you look at it that way, I don't know why a loss to Tennessee should hurt. And also, what does the committee value in the SEC tournament? Because last year, then like they, they valued nothing. All that much. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. So getting it done. Right. So if I, I don't know if it matters what you do, if you're Missouri, their, their seed may already be set. Uh, but I would put them at a seven. I, I would put them on the higher range of where people have them right now. Um, Blake, you know, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but if Missouri ends up going on a big run in the tournament, what do you think some of the reasons will be? And then if they get knocked out early, what do you think some of the reasons will be? Yeah, when when I start to look at teams like in, in matching them up and all that, I mean, I'll start with the bad first. I think it's very clear to me, they want to avoid teams like a Mississippi State where you have a very aggressive, physical-type team that can rebound, that can really hurt you on the offensive glass. I know a lot of teams in the SEC are like that, but I think we have to remember, too, one of the reasons why a lot of SEC teams are so good offensive rebounding is, well, there's a lot of you know good athletes and a lot of size, but it's also the fact that a lot of SEC teams can't not shoot. They miss a lot like, of shots. Yeah. They miss a ton of shots, and I think you have to remember that, too. So it, I think matchup, it really matters there. You know, can that sort of alleviate itself a little bit? I, but I, I would not want to play teams like that. Would not want to play a team like AM, whose sole purpose is to, you know, put you into submission, basically, just with the way they play. We are going to just, you know, physical. You're going to get bumped on every play. Um, those are the kind of teams I just don't think Missouri will, will fare well against because of what they need to do offensively. Now, on the flip side, and also maybe not a – not a great slice and dice offensive team either, because uh, I don't know that the the help rotations and all those things are what you necessarily <laughs> want to be putting them in right now. Um, but on the flip side of that, we talked about earlier, one of the things I really like to look at is, and this is why I'm against some of the teams in the SEC and why I really worry about them, What like what Gabe said, that I could see them knocked out very quickly. But, but it goes back to kind of my first point of the, the conversation is, they are so reliable, I think, when you look at just some of the if you're trying to find something like the offensive numbers, and I know it's been a little hit or miss when they're not at home, but if you just look at the numbers, like I feel like they have enough guys who can score to where, look, let, I mean, again, somebody maybe is able to defend Kobe Brown in a different way and, and he's not making shots, but you, you do trust that, that maybe a DeAndre Golson's going to step up a Hodge. We know can hit threes. Um, I think they've got a lot of different ways they can score. And, and one of the ways is not even just looking at an individual player. It's looking at forcing the steal, getting two easy layups in a span of a minute. And, and that's easy point. So I think because they're not just a bad offensive team, like, again, let's say Mississippi State. I hate I'm, I'm picking on Mississippi State here. But, <laughs> you know, it's they're the worst three-point shooting team in the country and one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the country. Like, how can you possibly expect me to trust a team like that, even though they're one of the best defensive teams out there? So they've got to have the perfect matchup, I think, to be able to advance in a tournament setting. Meanwhile, for Missouri, you know, you can also probably say that just based on the struggles defensively and rebounding. But I think their offensive ability and their ability just to get out and go for some turnovers, you know, I feel like some teams don't want to play that way. And they have a style that just some teams do not want to play. And, and they will frustrate you. They'll bug you just by how they play defense. And, you know, it's not always going to be perfect, but if they get a steal out of it, then who cares? And, and and they do a lot, do that a lot, right? So 
I, I think it's just th- their ability to put sustained offense together, which is unlike a lot of other SEC teams, like we said earlier, I think that's what can get them beyond the first weekend of the tournament. And again, this is all matchup based. Um, you definitely want to avoid the eight, nine game, because I think when you look at how they match up against the one seeds, I can't say I love any of those matchups right. just based on, and we know it's not going to be Alabama, right? But Houston, I don't love that. Um, you know, Purdue, no, like, I don't love that one either. I mean, look, and exactly. that's because, would get 50. Yeah. That's my problem there is like, you know, think about rebounding and defending. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that I love that matchup. So I think seven, 10, not saying the two seeds are, you know, perfect or, or vulnerable in every way. But I think that's certainly where you, you'd probably be okay if you get underseated as the 10 versus mm-hmm. just staying away from the eight, nine. I think that's yeah. the best case scenario is to look at that. Because like I said, I, I feel like matchup wise, if you if you want to pick the things that Missouri can do well to take them beyond the first weekend, I think there are some teams possibly on that, that two C line. They can do that against. I don't know that the one C line looks that great right now against them. Well, yeah, yeah. you just described to me the difference between this Missouri team. The last, like Conzo Martin went to two tournaments in four years. He wasn't awful here, but every game you watched and said, well, his goal is to win 60-58. Right. And when your goal is to win (laughs) 60-58, you have no margin for error. Yes. There are nights that this Missouri team takes the floor where they do everything poorly and it doesn't matter because they make 16 three-pointers, you know, and you just have a bigger margin for error when you, when you've got 140 possessions a game or whatever it is. So uh, I I know you've got another thing to do at three 30. So we want to get you out of here. I, I'll be honest. I don't know what I'm getting into here. I've had like seven people (laughs) tell me I have to ask you about the must nut story. Um, This sounds dangerous, especially given given that I know Eric Musselman's penchant for just randomly taking clothes off. So, (laughs) all right. Well, let's start by saying he left his clothes on. Okay. Okay. That's the best way to start this whole whole discussion. So this has all come about because I guess we did one of our live streams the other night and. Somebody said, well, Blake, isn't this, you know, you, you get to reunite with Dennis in person. And I said, you know, I said the last, and they started this hashtag too. I'm like, if you get, if you guys get this trending, Eric Musselman's probably going to call me and be like, what have you done? Like, this is ridiculous. I don't, I don't want any part of this. Um, but it all started because they're like, you're going to reunite. I said, the last time I think Dennis and I were in the same building was the year that you just said it gave Missouri played Florida state in the Mm -hmm. tournament in Nashville. Like that was the last time I remember probably being in the same gym as Dennis Gates because he was still the, you know, the assistant at Florida state at the time. And, but who else played um, that year in Nashville in in the same sort of um, setting that was the Nevada Wolfpack coached by none other than Eric Musselman. And what did they do those two or in those two games? Was that when they beat Texas? Two huge comebacks. They beat Cincinnati and they beat Texas to get to the sweet 16. They came back from like 15 down both times uh, to do it. I think that the Texas game was a seven, 10 game. I believe Cincinnati was the two. Uh, I think Cincinnati played Georgia state. And so the dramatic comeback against Cincinnati gets into the sweet 16. So Eric Musselman's first movement is, He's excited. We know, pretty animated guy. I think we would all agree with that. Um, he's not shy about that. So he runs over. Everybody's celebrating because we happen to be sitting on like the left side of the, the, the press row. And so all the Nevada fans, that's the section behind us. So that's all their tickets. So he runs over and everybody's celebrating. And all of a sudden, I have turned this way. And I look back around and I see Eric Musselman like coming this way. 
and he is now on the table right in front of me. Like, like he is, I mean, he has jumped up on the media table. Now everyone, I think it kind of scurried. It was, I was just sitting there and somebody else was beside me, but so my laptop is my first thought, right? I got to get my lap. I don't want my laptop to get broke. Um, but then I look up and I'm basically, I'm face to face and that's how, but, the must but nuts, not face. Yeah. <laughs> that's how the must nuts came to be is it's sort of, I mean, you know, I, that's how I tell it. I said, you know, sort of come face to face with the must nuts and, um, that's, that's what happened. So, um, you know, yeah. you live and you learn. You, you you try to stay out of those situations if you can, but sometimes the head coach is going to run up and jump on your table, and his nuts may be right there. So I, I was in the building that night, but I think I was getting ready to cover the the Missouri Florida State game, so I Probably wasn't so. out there. Uh, I have seen Marshall Henderson jump on that table, though. Uh, I was there for that. So. Yes, I and I think I was just so unexpected. But again, I I should have known because I knew they were. I knew the Nevada section was behind us, and I was like, mm-hmm. if they win this game all the players had come running over and yeah. So that was, uh, and I've told him that story before when I've had him on like podcasts and stuff and he probably doesn't remember it, but trust me, I remember it. Um, <laughs> you, you don't forget that. So there you uh, go. All right. So, so real quick before you go, Blake, just let everybody know, like if, if they want to find your, you guys do a lot of stuff, SEC wide daily, uh, where, where can they find you? Where can they follow all the stuff? Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, like, you, you know, just like you on YouTube, uh, you can search for Southeastern 14. You can uh, find all of our daily stuff. Obviously, a lot of basketball with Chris and I going up uh, these days. We are, yeah, we're getting ready to do a live show uh, here in Nashville here in the next couple of hours. So you can find that there. And um, also baseball, which I know Missouri uh, trending in the right direction early here. We got a lot of coverage on that. Uh, football as well. So you can find it off there. Just just search for Southeastern 14 on YouTube. And yeah, everything else, you can just follow me on Twitter at the Blake Bubble. Perfect. Appreciate it, man. And uh, Drew, we'll see you in Nashville. Uh, I will watch you on YouTube. Perfect. Yeah, no, Drew, some, come say hello if I don't see you. Definitely look will. forward to it. For see sure. you guys. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. That is Blake Lovell joining us. Uh, again, Southeastern 14, he's the managing editor. Him and Chris Lee do do a lot of stuff there. And like we joke, he is – I mean, he was the first person I saw say, hey, Missouri fans, shut up. You got to help, coach, mm. right? And, uh, yeah. And, and he's proven right so far. So, uh, Drew, you're headed to Nashville tomorrow. Correct. What, what's a good weekend for Missouri here? A good weekend from Missouri? Well, I, I think you – pointed out that they haven't played on Saturday or Sunday before in the SEC tournament ever. So I I think just a win in that quarterfinal round um, would, would be fantastic for Missouri just as a program um, to make it that far. Um, So I I think that a win over Tennessee or, or whether it is Ole Miss or South Carolina, um, that's kind of just the first step. You will probably run into Alabama after that and, if you can hang tough with them and not get blown out by 35 points like they did last time, I think you're in pretty good shape. Well, in the beauty of this tournament from Missouri's perspective and, and Blake talked about it, nothing can hurt them. Yeah. Whatever they're seated today, they can lose by 25 on Friday night. And I think that's still what they're going to be seated. Um, I think they can help themselves simply because they've got the possibility of as many as three quad one games in front of them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they can hurt themselves at all. So um, Correct. And I think that's why it was so important to get the double by too, because yeah. then you're you don't have at, that South Carolina game. Exactly. Um, so it, they're definitely um, 
not there's not a whole lot of risk in this tournament and there's a whole lot of upside for sure um the biggest question is just how much is the selection committee going to value some of these games right and and we will obviously find that out on uh or maybe we won't find it out on Sunday night. Honestly, it it, it, it might be kind of tough to tell, but um, we are, you know, ninety so right about a hundred hours away, something like that, from mm-hmm. selection show. Um, just curious, like, hey, you're going. I I always love conference tournaments. Uh, it's fun to cover because you can just go there and like watch nine hours of basketball. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So out, outside of obviously, hey, you're going to be down there in Mizzou, Tennessee, and as far as Missouri goes, like. What are you looking forward to about this tournament? You know, what do you think going into it? Like, I looked, I think we're going to get Alabama, Kentucky in the finals. Yeah. So I think why I like March so much is because these games actually have stakes to them, right? Like, everybody is playing for their season. Um, And so I think that's what I'm most looking forward to is that we are going to see the best version of like every single one, one of these teams, because they know that there's a lot on the line going into this tournament. So that's something that I'm really looking for. Um, and then prediction wise, here's the thing, Gabe, I, Kentucky looks good. They look like Kentucky again, but Texas A&M showed that they can be really successful in a, in a tournament yeah, setting. I, right? I picked them to lose to Auburn. Uh, shouts to Matty Mock. I hope you get to have Dennis Gates tattooed on your body. Um, um, but yeah, so I, I think that Texas A&M, they're going to be looking for revenge in this one. I, th- I think that they'll be really motivated to get back to that championship game and try to pull out the win this time. Um, at the same time, Alabama looks like, you know, like they have all year. They, they're they a little bit more vulnerable now, but I, I don't know that anyone is good enough to beat them um, in, in this tournament. So that's the two teams that I would look at. I know I don't like going all chalk all the time, but right. for, for the SEC, um, that's kind of where I'm leaning. I see seven teams that could win this tournament. Um, seven? Yeah. I mean, you got Alabama A&M, obviously. Yeah. Tennessee can win it. Kentucky can win it. I think Missouri can win it. And I think the Arkansas Auburn winner could win it. Yeah. Yeah. The Arkansas, you know, I've, I know I've been talking up Nick Smith and they haven't played well with them back, but um, I, I think he really is a good enough guy that can um, give you a spark, especially because most of these teams have not seen him in person before, right? They, they're only going off of what they've seen on film. So I think Arkansas could surprise Auburn, like you said. Auburn, the thing with me with Auburn is that they haven't won two games in a row since like mid-January. Um, they are a pretty cold team coming into yeah. this. So um, they probably have the talent to do it. I just don't know if they have the execution to do it. That's that's fair. Uh, Kyle wants to know how much of a difference it'll make that Tennessee has Josiah Jordan James back in this game. I think everything they get from getting him back is counteracted by losing Zakai Ziegler. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, if if you were to tell me who is the team, not just in the SEC, who is the team in the country? you would least want to play in your second game without your point guard, I might pick Missouri. Yeah. Um, Because Ziegler is that guy, like, he can be a one-man press break, right? He's a good ball handler and all that. I don't know that Santiago Vescovi is that. 
You know, I've seen him mishandle the ball enough and, and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I can see a situation on Friday night where Missouri speeds Tennessee up and where we end that game going, well, of course Missouri won this game because Tennessee didn't have his point guard. And why didn't we think that was the case? Yeah. And if you think back to that Tennessee game, like Zakai Ziegler was carving Mizzou up. He had 10 assists second that half, night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so the other thing that worries me about Tennessee is that was Mizzou's best shooting game of the season. They hit 53% of their threes. Nobody does that against Tennessee. They're the number one three-point defense in the nation. And, and so that's why that win came as such as of a big surprise, not only because of the buzzer beater, but because Mizzou was actually hitting shots against Tennessee and, and teams aren't supposed to do that. So um, the question going into Tennessee this time would be, can Mizzou keep that up? Right. And how, how much of a difference is it going to be if the shots, the shots aren't going in um, as often as they were the first time around. And like, I know we oversimplified this, but truly, Missouri can't win if it doesn't get to 70 in this game. I I, I mean, if this yeah. game's in the 50s or 60s, they're beat. Now, they as they showed in Knoxville, they could score 70 and lose, but they mm-hmm. can't win without scoring 70. Yeah, absolutely, because so much of kind of what Blake said, like if you're going to beat Tennessee, you have to speed them up. And, and to do that, you have to get a lead on them and make them play with some urgency. So if – Mizzou isn't able to do that and it's a tight one going down the stretch I kind of lean more toward Tennessee just because I I think that they're a little bit better equipped to handle that kind of slow-paced game all right uh hang on I just put up the wrong comment I just put up a two I don't really know what that was regarding to but uh okay so last question then we'll finish it up kind of with some final thoughts I want you to take this first over under on the wins for the rest of the season like theoretically Missouri could have two games left mm-hmm. and it could have nine games left. So yeah. you were setting the over under at what? The rest of the okay. I'm setting the line. Um, I'll set it at, let me think. We'll set it at three and a half. I think Ooh. I would have set it at one and a half. Okay. Go on. O- only because, Look, Missouri is going to be an underdog on Friday. Mm-hmm. Now, whether you think they should be or not, they are going to be. It's a program that hasn't won an NCAA tournament game in 13 years. They're going to be, I would think, seeded to win one. But, you know, even it, let's say they, if you lose either to Tennessee or in the first round of the NCAA tournament, then you've got to get two in the other tournament to get to that over under of one and a yeah. half. If you give me three and a half, I'm going under. Absolutely. All right. Let me set it at two and a half then. Okay. Um, two and a half. <laughs> two and a half makes me like, I, I'm not sure where I'm going there. Yeah. Is it weird that I feel like Mizzou has a chance to go farther in the NCAA tournament than it does in the SEC tournament? No, because theoretically, if depending on how things go, they're not <laughs> playing a team quite as good as Alabama in the second right. round of the NCAA tournament, you know, and, yeah. and also I think there's something to be said. I've, I've heard some people say like that opposing coaches have said, Missouri is as difficult to scout and prepare for as anybody in the country, just because they do something nobody else does. So every team they could play this week has seen them and has often seen them twice. Yeah. Now, let's say you get into the NCAA tournament and, like, you know, you're playing 
Nevada in the first round and Texas in the second round, just for theoretic possibilities. They haven't seen you. Like, yeah. they, they haven't seen anybody who does it quite this way. And your first game, you're going to be seated to win. And that doesn't mean you're going to win, but you're going to be favored, right? Your second game, they've had about 24 hours to get ready for you. Yeah. And I feel like this is a tough team to get ready. I mean, it's not like you just look at and look out and go, yeah, they like to run high pick and roll. They got this guy down low. They're going to throw the ball. I mean, they just do something that not very many teams do. Well, and on top of that, like realistically, you know that they're going to try to play through Kobe, but Kobe hasn't been the highest scorer on every, every given night, right? Right. Like, Demoy Hodge has had big games. DeAndre Golston just dropped 20 on Ole Miss. So, uh, I think that that also makes it difficult for to prepare for them because um, not only do you have to weather the storm of ball pressure that they're going to send your way, but you also have to be ready for any of their guys to get hot on that night. Yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll wrap this up with, with kind of a two part thing. I asked Blake, if you're on the committee, if they come Mm -hmm. to you and they say, let's just say for sake of argument, Missouri beats Tennessee loses to Bama. They come to you and say, all right, your responsibility is seeding Missouri. What's the number? Uh, you asked me this last week. I still think they're, they're at a six, right? Um, in strength of record, they are up to number 16. If you went just off of that, that would make them a four seed. And so um, if, if we're going to discount them because of the predictive analytics, Ken Palm and the computers and all that, that everybody wants to rage against now, um, right. uh, you know, I, I don't think that they should get docked, you know, another 16 spots because of it. I, I think that realistically, um, Mizzou has one of the strongest resumes out there. And so I, I me personally, I lean more toward that than I do um, kind of what the analytics say. Me personally, I would see them as a six. If they win the tournament, I would see them as a five. Um, I don't think they're going to get a six. I'll say this, and this is kind of where we're going to wrap up, is is because I posted on the board yesterday a contest for our subscribers, like pick the pick the seed, the region, and the opponent, um, and they'll win a gift card. You and me will win absolutely nothing. We will okay. win pride, okay. being able to say we're right. I don't think Missouri's going to be a six. I think they're going to be a seven. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to be in the east region. And I'll say, um, I don't know, you got to give me a seed in a region while I go look who that might be. <laughs> because I don't really have any idea. Off the top okay. Of so region-wise, at least, I, I know the, the places that we're going to try to avoid. So I'll, I'll try to pick one that we want to go to. Um, I'll say there'll be a seven seed in Des Moines going uh, well okay the region has to be like right the region is separate from what the location yeah true um we'll say the east east region um and then i'll say they go up against um like a fau kind of team right one of the better nine seed or ten seeds in the tournament okay so i think i'm going seven seed east region they play Pittsburgh in the first round, mm-hmm. and if they win that, they play Marquette. That's where I'm going to go. Okay. That's what I fall on. If I'm right, I'm just going to come on here and tell you all I was right. for like. Well, here's years. the thing, Gabe. I am very familiar with Shaka Smart's work, um, yeah. and so oh, yes. I, I don't necessarily think that they would play Marquette in the second round. 
You don't think I, I think Marquette can be a two? Oh, you don't think Marquette would get to the two? <laughs> I got you. I got you. Okay, so in that case, if they are not playing Marquette in the second round, they're playing Vermont for a bid. <laughs> so excellent. All right. Well, Drew, um, yeah, I want to let everybody know before you guys log off. Uh, Drew is headed to Nashville tomorrow. Mm-hmm. He will have complete coverage of Missouri and Nashville, however long that lasts. Like he might be coming home Saturday morning. He might stay there for selection Sunday and come home Monday morning. I will be doing, I'll start a live show uh, shortly after every game Missouri plays this weekend. And after Drew does interviews, he'll, he'll join me. And then next Tuesday or Wednesday, we are either driving or flying somewhere. So uh, say your prayers for Des Moines, Iowa, Drew. You've never wanted to go to Des Moines so bad. (laughs) Never have. (laughs) All right, man. We'll let you go and uh, have a safe trip. And we will get plenty from you in Nashville this week. We'll do. Sounds good. I want to thank uh, Blake Lovell for joining us and Drew King for hanging out as always. want to thank all you guys for hanging out with us here on YouTube, a longer show this week. So if you are here with us on YouTube, please hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, do all the things that all the people that are better than me at YouTube tell you to do. Um, If you are listening on the podcast, which will be up shortly after this, leave us a nice review, say good things about us, share it on social media, all of those things. Again, full basketball mode, Gerard Hamilton covering spring football, but Drew and I are following basketball for the next few days, March Madness and Missouri's in it. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be there as long as they are. Want to remind you on the way out the door. Power Mizzou now has its own arm with the NIL Collective, Every True Tiger Foundation. James Carlton wants to help out with that. He wants to help you, first of all, with your insurance. So if you've got insurance needs, home, life, auto, whatever, get in touch with James Carlton at carltoninsurance.net, 314-961-4800. The phone number, facebook.com slash carltoninsurance. But he also wants to help Mizzou's NIL efforts. So our subscribers, our viewers here, if you get in touch with James, you tell him you heard about him on Power Mizzou and you get a quote. He is going to donate $20 to the Power Mizzou Fund in the ETTF NIL Collective. And that will help you guys get cool stuff like a chance to hang out with Mizzou athletes, Mizzou coaches, and maybe even see a Mizzou practice. So do that. Get in touch with James. Appreciate you guys watching. We're going to be back on Friday night after the Mizzou-Tennessee game. After that, I don't know, guys, maybe Saturday, definitely Sunday, maybe next Thursday. We'll see. We'll be here a lot because it's March Madness. So here we go. Thanks for watching.